on the mountain, and they're coming back down, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, 9 to 13. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Jesus doesn't want them telling what they saw until his resurrection, I think, because they didn't understand who he really was and what his messiahship invo involved until after his death and resurrection. Hard telling what they might have said if they had reported it at this point. And it's not time for Jesus to be declared as the Messiah yet. That time will come later. But they put two and two together. <laughs> Who did they see up there on the mountain? And seeing Elijah reminds them of what? What the scribes have said. Yes. That Elijah must come. Yes. That Elijah was going to come first. Where was that? Malachi? Yes. The last two verses of Malachi say that uh, Elijah was going to come to prepare the way and to turn people back to God before the great and ter terrible day of the Lord come. That is the last two verses of the Old Testament. They ended with the prediction of, of, of Elijah coming. And so, you know, the disciples say, well, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Because after all, I mean, the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus already come. You know, he's already there for a while before Elijah showed up. So it just didn't make sense to them. And what's Jesus' answer about that? Elijah already came. Yeah. <laughs> Elijah was here. <laughs> you know, ever seen those signs, Kilroy was here? Well, uh, Elijah was here. And uh, they just didn't recognize him. But they mistreated him just like they were going to mistreat Jesus himself. There are a lot of parallels. John's sufferings sort of foreshadow Jesus' sufferings. And then it dawns on the disciples, Jesus means what? And Malachi meant what by Elijah? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. That was the Elijah that he that Malachi was talking about. And of course, John the Baptist did come to prepare the way for Jesus. Comments and questions about that. So why does he say he is coming? Well, I mean, he's saying that's true. Elijah, you know, was coming to restore all things. But but then he says, but I say to you, that Elijah already did come. So so the fact that Elijah is coming okay. to restore all things, that's a true statement, except it's, it's in the past. Happened. Yes. Okay. I'm surprised they put it together. I am too. They don't put too many things together. <laughs> I mean, that's still cryptic there in some ways. In some ways it is, yes. You had the statement, but of course they wouldn't have known it, of Gabriel to Zechariah in Luke 1, that he would go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So, but I don't know that they would have known Gabriel said that. So. Other questions? 
I'd have about 14 to 21. And when they came to the multitude, a man came up to him, falling on his knees before him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Okay, so uh, things have not gone well for the nine while Jesus and the three were up on the mountain. Do you remember any other time when someone was up on the mountain and things didn't go too well down below? Yes, kind of reminds me of that. Uh, what's happened down below while Jesus was up on the mountain? They were not casting out a demon. <laughs> yeah. This father has a demon-possessed boy. He brought him to the nine who had tried to cast out the demon, and they were not able to. Now, you wonder what was going on here. I mean, was it reasonable even to think that the nine might be able to cast out the demon? Have they already been sent out before? Yes, with power to cast out demons, Matthew chapter 10, or 9, I believe. Well, 9 and 10 maybe both. Um, so, they, they've got that power, Matthew 10, actually. Um, and, and they've been casting out demons. They've been able to do that, but they don't cast this one out. And so Jesus, when the man brings the boy to him, says in verse 17, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. I think Jesus is disappointed in the low level of faith of the disciples. They've almost regressed to the spiritual state of the multitude. And then Jesus cleans up their mess. You know, he rebukes the him and the demon comes out of him and the boy is cured at once. Of course, what do the disciples want to know? Why can we do that? Yeah, really. You know, why couldn't they? And what's the answer? Now, that is in itself a debatable statement. What does he mean by their faith was too little to cast out the demon? Some people have thought like that they just didn't believe strongly enough that they could really do it. And that's how they didn't have enough faith. I personally don't think that's the better explanation. I think when it says their faith was too small, it's saying they didn't trust and depend on the Lord enough. In fact, you think about it. When our faith is too small, it's usually too small because we're trusting too much in what? Ourselves. Ourselves. And I think that was the issue. In fact, look again at what they wanted to know. Why could we not drive it out? I wonder if 
they were relying too much on themselves. After all, they'd cast probably a lot of demons out, and after a while, you get to be kind of old hat. You know, you know what you're doing. You got to handle on this one. You can, you know, and probably they weren't praying. Probably they weren't turning to the Lord. Probably they weren't seeing their need for the Lord, and so they just didn't trust the Lord. And they couldn't cast it out. You know, we may have a lot of success, but if we start trying to do it on our own steam instead of re relying on God, we'll start failing. And then Jesus said, and it's not like it takes a whole lot. How much faith do we need to move a mountain? Not much. How much? A mustard seed. A mustard seed size worth. You know, now how big's a mustard seed? The smallest seed in the garden, but grows to the largest plant. <laughs> yeah, a super small seed. So Jesus is saying it doesn't take a lot of faith. Now, people miss that point. You know, people will sometimes say, well, if somebody, you know, maybe not many people can do these things today, but if somebody really, really, really managed to have just a supernatural amount of faith. If somebody could really just believe enough, then they could do this. Well, Jesus' point is just the opposite. The point isn't how great the faith has to be. The point is the power of God that's available even to the smallest faith. You know, any faith, <laughs> you know, any level of faith, God can answer in remarkable ways, like moving a mountain. And remember, they've just been on the mountain. That would have been a remarkable illustration. Though Jesus was not trying to talk about, you know, physical topography. That's really not the issue here. Jesus uses mountain to talk about great difficulty, great obstacles. You see that in various passages, especially in the prophets, where mountains symbolize that. But he's saying that you, you guys just didn't trust. You didn't believe. You didn't have faith because it didn't take much. You trusted them the Lord at all. It'll be amazing the things that God can do. But this demon perhaps was especially resilient, and without them trusting in God, they couldn't cast it out. That's how I see that. Your comments and questions, whatever. Off the top of your head, do you know your mountain passages that you've talked about before? I've got some of them written down here. Right. Isaiah 40, verse 4, 41, 15, 49, 11, 54, 10. Zechariah 4, verses 6 and 7. Zechariah 14, verses 3 to 5. Those are the ones I've got written down. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, Jesus says that on more than one occasion, so there's several times to, to think about that. Other thoughts? That's the part that gets confusing, because people think you should be able to move a mountain. Yes, and, <laughs> well, with, with faith, God should move the mountain. But, you know, I mean, he's not talking about something that could be moved if you had enough earth-moving equipment. He's talking about stuff you can't move if it's not the Lord that does it. I was thinking that it was probably kind of embarrassing for them that, like, they're like, you know, be gone, demon, and <laughs> <laughs> nothing happens. Yeah. At least it didn't attack Which kind of serves them right. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. So Which could focused. make them even more irritated in trying within themselves. Right, like it hurts their pride. And Come on! <laughs> get out! Told you to get out! 
Yeah, I hard telling what this was like for them, but it's the way I am. When I quit trusting in the Lord, which happens to me on too many occasions, and try to do things on my own, the Lord always pulls the rug out from under me. And then it's like really frustrating and embarrassing, and you know, it's like, oh man, <laughs> wish I hadn't done that. And, uh, but it's a good thing that the Lord does that, or we just trust in ourselves all the time. Yeah, even on number three hundred to one, three hundred to one hundred and thirty-five thousand, whatever that's four hundred fifty to one. Yeah, uh, still, he they thought he was king. We have a terrible tendency to take the credit for anything. You know, uh, what is that? The uh, Paul Earnhardt's illustration, the mouse riding, riding on the uh, elephant's back as they crossed the, the wooden bridge and got to the other side and the mouse whispers in the elephant's ear, sure did shake that thing, didn't we, big buddy? <laughs> <laughs> and you just kind of think of the mouse probably didn't contribute a whole lot to that shaking. Yeah. All right, anything else through 21? 22 and 23? While they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised up on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. So just a relentless emphasis on Jesus' part these days that it's going to be necessary to go through all these terrible things. He's going to be delivered, they'll kill him, and then he'll be raised on the third day. And it just really bothers the disciples. You know, I don't ever think they seem to get to the resurrection part. They're so upset about the other part. You know, it never seems to dawn on him that there's going to be a bright light at the end. The fact that he keeps telling them he's going to be killed is just overwhelming to them. Thoughts and comments about that one? Well, this last story is unique to Matthew and is really a curious little one. 24 to 27. When they came to covering him, those two had collected two drachmat tax came to Peter and said, Is your teacher not paid to the tax? He said, Yes. And when they came into his house, Jesus spoke to him, to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings in the earth, kings of the earth, come collect customs or pull tax from their sons or strangers? And Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are ex extinct. However, so that we do not offend them to go into the sea and throw, throw on a hook and take the fish that comes up and when you open his mouth we'll find a shekel take that and give it to them and me alright so there's this temple tax it's mentioned in the Old Testament um, it's called here the two drachma tax and uh, the question is uh, that comes to Peter does your teacher pay that tax now, it was an annual assessment, as I understand it. 
And uh, what's Peter's answer? Yes. What do you think about that answer? Sounds like he's defending him. Yeah. And sounds like he... Doesn't think. <laughs> speaks too quickly. Well, sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> he doesn't know if he pays that tax or not. But he doesn't want Jesus to look bad, so he just impulsively says yes. And then, when he's into the, in the house, Jesus, of course, uh, has overheard this, even if he wasn't there. And Jesus says, now listen, Simon, um, who pays the taxes that a king levies? The citizens or his own children? Well, the citizens. His own children don't have to pay the tax. You know, well, whose temple is this? God's. Would his son be subject to the tax? No. And, and Jesus says the sons are exempt. He doesn't owe this tax. <laughs> this, was his, this was for his father's house. But what did Jesus do? Peter's like, go get, catch a fish and you'll find some money in its mouth and pay the tax anyway so we don't offend them. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yes. Any of you ever gone fishing? Caught anything? Find any money in its mouth? <laughs> what are the chances of that? Sometimes I found an old fishing lure in its mouth that might have been worth two drachmas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe so. I could I could see that happening. But the chances of a fish, you know, having a couple of coins in its mouth seem really unlikely. And this just so happens to be the right amount for the tax for him and Peter. Um, why did Jesus do it this way? I mean, was Jesus just so hard up he had to, you know, get the money from a fish? Maybe, but I don't think that's the point. What's the point? Kind of shows Peter that um, Christ has the money already because he shares it with God and God gave it back through the fish so that he could give it back to God not to offend him. Yes. So in a roundabout way saying this is mine and God's money is the same thing so I don't really need to give this tax because I am God. Yes. The way Jesus got this money showed he wasn't an ordinary man having to pay the money in the ordinary way. Jesus is able to keep from creating a public scandal over a two drachma tax without admitting that he was an ordinary man who really owed the tax. He didn't acknowledge that it was a legitimate charge on him, but he sure doesn't want to get sidetracked about by this two drachma tax. There are some times when it's just not worth fighting about. You know, go catch a fish and pay it or whatever it needs to happen. Because it's gonna distract from his mission. Even though clearly he didn't know it. Sometimes you pay things you don't know. Because if, if you don't, it's just gonna be more trouble than it's worth. That's what I see there. So Jesus shows his greatness in a remarkable way even as he pays this temple tax that he really was exempt from. Comments and questions?
did they know he hadn't paid? You know, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, they, maybe this was like uh, going to the polling booth or something. They check off your name. I don't know. Um, this kind of reminds me of a story in Acts where Paul was um, helping out the Jews who were fulfilling their vows. And just, he didn't like have to pay for them to fulfill their vows, but he did it so that it could help with the situation there so that people would um, not be offended by him. Great point. Anything else? So would these be like the Pharisees or just different? Like it says they're the people who collected this tax. I don't really know. Because normally he's fine with offending the Pharisees. <laughs> yeah, but not over this. Okay. Well, I mean, if they make a big deal about this, what's it going to look like? You know, I mean, they're not going to understand the reasoning. This is going to look like he's too cheap to pay the tax, or he's, you know, a rebel against God. I mean, and, and over a two drop of tax. So that would be cheap even for them. I mean, it's two days' wages, but that would yeah. amount to it's not a lot. <laughs> I would be happy if I could pay my taxes with two days' wages. <laughs> I realized there were other taxes, but... Well, chapter 18 is another one of these speeches of Jesus. We have five big ones in Matthew, all ending the same way. This one uh, is, is punctuated by a couple of comments uh, inside of it. But, but still, it's a really important uh, sermon of Jesus and uh, very practical, man. Jesus' sermons all throughout this book are very practical and helpful for our everyday life, and this is no exception. So, chapter 18, verses 1 to 4. 